I'd like to welcome everyone to today's Vet Girl podcast, where I have two really amazing lecturers and speakers here with us, Dr. Craig Clifford and Dr. Jessica Quimby. And before we get started, I'm sure you know these two very famous people, but I'd like them to each introduce themselves, give us a little bit of a background of who they are, where they work, and what they do, and then we'll get into some amazing information today. But Dr. Craig Clifford, why don't you go ahead and give us a little bit of a background about yourself? All right. Well, again, my name is Craig Clifford. I am a medical oncologist. I work at Hope Veterinary Specialist in Malvern, Pennsylvania, where I not only serve on our medical oncology team, but I am also the director of clinical studies. So this was one of the studies that uh, we will be discussing today that was a part of our large number that we tend to do on a yearly basis. And Dr. Jessica Quimby, please introduce yourself. Yes, thank you so much. Um, As you mentioned, I'm Dr. Jessica Quimby, and I'm currently at The Ohio State University. I've just recently moved there from Colorado State, um, and I'm one of the small animal internal medicine specialists here. My area of research is feline chronic kidney disease, and in particular, related to better supportive care for those patients and looking at different medications that we can use to help them with their appetites and um, get them to the course of the disease in the best way that we can. Excellent. And as was mentioned, today we're going to be talking about the use of meropidant citrate. And most of our Vecral listeners know me, Garrett Pactinger, because uh, I'm the co-founder of Vecral. And as a criticalist, I love the use of meropidant, the use of serenia. It seems like it's something that every patient gets. And so just a very brief introduction. If you guys are out there, are not familiar with meropidant citrate, familiar with serenia, what it is is a selective NK1 receptor antagonist that is a very common and very effective anti-emetic that we use in practice. And how it works is by blocking the binding of substance P within our emetic center as well as the chemoreceptor trigger zone. If you have used this before, what you may remember or may think is that when it was initially introduced, we could give a certain dose for a short period of time and then a patient may have needed a break, a washout period from getting the serenia. But because it's so effective, many of us from our different specialties, whether it's Dr. Clifford with oncology, Dr. Quimby with her chronic renal failure patients, we recognize how beneficial this medication has become, whether it's pancreatitis, cancer, kidney disease. Our canine and feline patients respond so well to it. The thought was, why can't we use this for a longer period of time? And that's where these studies and these two speakers come into play is they've both looked at it for longer use, Dr. Clifford in cancer patients, Dr. Quimby with her chronic renal failure feline patients. And so I wanted to dive into two of their recent studies and investigations that they looked at. So Dr. Clifford, knowing that chemotherapy has some side effects and understanding that different chemotherapeutic agents can cause some variation in side effects, I first want you to tell our listeners out there, what are some of the more common side effects we see in our canine patients and our dogs getting chemotherapy, such as, for example, a patient receiving treatment for lymphoma? Generally, as you're well aware, when we're treating our patients with chemotherapy, on the plus side, the dosages that we're using are probably about two-thirds the intensity as to what we see in physician-based oncology. Now, still, that lowers the chance of side effects, but it does not negate it. And we do know that the goal of chemotherapy is to kill rapidly growing cells. So what we tend to see in regards to gastrointestinal signs is there can be destruction of the crypt cells. 
That then can lead to a delayed chemo side effects, such as nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea. And we can also see with certain drugs, there can be more of an acute effect, which we feel is more of a direct effect on the emetic center and the chemoreceptor trigger zone. And that occurs with certain chemotherapy agents, such as dactinomycin, cisplatin, decarbazine, et cetera. So these drugs, the NK inhibitors, really gained their attention as they are the top of the line in physician-based oncology. And the specific drug is called AMEND. So we were very fortunate that we were able to get an NK inhibitor in veterinary medicine. And clearly, as we know, part of the reason that Serenia made its way to us was that there was some abnormalities in regards to the heartbeats within patients. So essentially, arrhythmias were noted in people, and that killed the drug. So because there was a great deal of toxicity data in dogs, it moved on to us. The pivotal trial by Dr. David Vale was assessing Serenia in regards to cisplatin-induced emesis. And the drug was shown to drop it to less than 5% versus greater than 90% of the patients that received placebo. So for us, we tend to use it within our CHOP-based protocols. Dr. Clever, for those that are not familiar with the abbreviation of the term CHOP protocols, can you define that a little bit more for us? Yeah, so a standard CHOP protocol is very similar to what we see in physician-based oncology. It's going to entail the use of vincristine, cytoxin, and doxorubicin, along with prednisone, on an alternating basis. Generally, we treat patients with a cycle of chemotherapy at a time, and for the purposes of our study, a cycle was five weeks long. It was four weeks of weekly medication and one week of arrest. For our clinical trial, the rationale was, as was mentioned by Garrett, you know, initially the five days on, two day off was more of a marketing than it was for any other reason. So the trial was designed to say, okay, at the time period, Lessman was working on looking at 14 days straight of Serenia in normal dogs. We wanted to see, was there a difference in cancer-bearing patients that were receiving chemotherapy? So that was essentially the premise of our study, was to be able to give the drug daily for 28 days. I completely agree with you that this is a very effective medication. In fact, a common thing I tell families, regardless of what disease we're dealing with, for example, is the phrase, food is love. And I'm sure you may agree, at least to some degree, your job is obviously as an oncologist to kill that cancer, kill those cancer cells. And if you're doing that well, but the patient is not eating or has vomiting or has diarrhea and some of these unwanted side effects, that sort of in the owner's mind negates some of the effectiveness of the therapy. And so I love this, the study that you were looking at here where you evaluated the safety of meropidin citrate, Serenia dosed orally at two milligrams per kilogram once daily for 28 consecutive days in dogs with lymphoma. So can you work through that study with us, the number of dogs you had, uh, again, the protocols and the information you developed from this, and of course, and effectiveness? Because I'm sure our listeners would love to know, yes, can we use it for 28 days? Was it safe? And importantly, was it effective? Certainly. So uh, as mentioned, the goal of our trial was to look at it within a number of cancer-bearing patients that were receiving a standard CHOP-based protocol for lymphoma. So 40, 40 dogs were enrolled within the trial, and the goal was to start them at the time period of the first doxorubicin, which is generally considered week four. They were started at two mg per kg daily, given at home by the owner, and they were evaluated on a weekly basis, and they received this for four weeks. The patients came in on a weekly basis, physical exams were performed, full blood work, including a CBC, chemistry, and urinalysis, 
And then plasma was taken for PK analysis within the patients. We assessed them in regards to toxicity with what we call the veterinary cooperative oncology group, common terminology criteria for adverse events. So the goal of this, although it sounds quite long, the goal of this is to be able to create a standard in which to grade adverse events. And they're graded based upon severity on a one through five scale. So essentially what that allows you to do is that different studies or different trials can use the same criteria and allow you to understand or have it work across a variety of trials to know what the adverse events were. The patients stayed on it and any patients that developed side effects, we not only graded them one through five, but we also assessed the causality. So do we think it was due to lymphoma? Do we think it was due to the treatment or do we think it was potentially due to the serenia? As mentioned on all of those time points, uh, PK was assessed to be able to show was the drug being cumulatively loaded, meaning were we seeing the drug over time, we were seeing more of the drug within the patients, or did it stay relatively stable? If we look at our results, the positive thing was there were very few overall side effects. In regards to our adverse events, these were only really noted within four dogs. And again, if we think about this was evaluated daily for 40 dogs, there were only 14 overall adverse events and the majority were not attributed to serenia. Again, this only occurred in four dogs with a total of 14 adverse events. When we assessed the patients, the body weights were the same throughout the trial, and when we looked at the overall serenia concentrations within the blood, there really was no evidence to suggest that there was drug accumulation. So the positive of this was that it demonstrated that one, it was safe, could be utilized within sick dogs, essentially cancer-bearing dogs that were undergoing chemotherapy, could receive it on a daily basis, and most importantly was that there was no drug accumulation so that we could use this more chronically in patients that we felt it was necessary to. So that was a positive for us, and we're in the process of writing this up for publication. It was presented last year at the Veterinary Cancer Society meetings as part of abstract formulation. That's awesome. Let me ask this. So obviously, a lot of great data, a lot of great information. Has this changed the way you use meropidin citrate, Serenia, in your clinical practice? It's a great question. And I think for me, yes, on some level, you know, traditionally, the oncologists would always joke offhanded that, you know, we use Serenia like water within our patients, but we generally stuck to the time periods of five days on, two day off. Now, I think for select patients that I, I view as more fragile or more likely to have gastrointestinal signs, I have no problem sending those owners home with a more prolonged course of Serenia based upon the data of this study. So I think in that aspect, for some of the older patients, some of the patients that may have other secondary diseases where they've had pancreatitis or they may have kidney disease on top of it, I think we would feel more comfortable sending those patients home with more chronic dosing. I'm sure there'll be variability between patients as well as veterinary team members as well. Is this a medication that you would send them home with, say, use as needed? Or are there indications to say, please start this at the time of chemotherapy? And clearly, if there are gastrointestinal signs to begin with, that would, of course, alter this conversation. But let's say you have a patient that doesn't have any current GI signs. Is it something where you say, here's the bottle, use if they start having, or to prevent or stop 
because we know some of these drugs, these chemotherapeutic agents can do this. Here's the bottle, but start it tonight. So it's a great question. I think for us, it partially depends upon what drug we're using. So several of the chemotherapy drugs, we know the risk of nausea is not very high. So for those patients, we may have them maintain or can have some of the drug at home, the Serenia, in case an adverse event occurs. But in using a drug like doxorubicin, where we know based upon a very elegant study by Dr. Suzanne Rao from Tufts, who is one of our former interns, where they assessed dogs with doxorubicin, they received, one group received Serenia, the other group did not, and then they reversed them after one cycle. Um, and in those patients, they found that the dogs that had placebo had a much higher risk of developing nausea and vomiting versus those that got Serenia. So the bottom line is if I'm giving a drug like doxorubicin, I send it home and I say, give it no matter what. Because sometimes patients may have what we call subclinical nausea, where they're still eating okay, but clearly the drug is affecting them. And if I can block that from the start for a drug like that or other stronger drugs like carboplatin or cisplatin, I have the owner start it right away regardless as a prophylactic. And this is going to be a little bit anecdotal, just your experience more than this study. But as you have started doing this, have you found that dogs are, in a sense, tolerating their chemotherapy a little bit better? Owners are, in general, happier with their experience, uh, more likely to continue chemotherapy, potentially even getting longer treatment protocols because the dogs are doing better? Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things that is difficult for a veterinary oncologist is that, you know, we have a double-edged sword in regards to our treatment in that we have to give a dose that's going to work and be efficacious or else what are we doing? But at the same point, we have to minimize as much as possible um, effects on quality of life. So unlike physician-based oncology, where you know what you're getting into and you know how bad the side effects are going to be, in our patients, we have to try to minimize that as best we can because as you just mentioned exactly, to an owner, the efficacy, so how well the drugs are working and putting the patient into remission or helping extend their survival is as important as how it affects their quality of life. So if I have a patient that I have them in remission, but the quality of life is poor, I may lose that owner and that they may stop. So to be able to have a drug like this that we can use on a consistent and prolonged basis and maintain the quality of life by minimizing side effects you know, it's a game changer for us. Excellent. So it sounds like in reviewing your study and listening to you talk, not only is meropidin citrate serenia safe, but effective, not only in the short term, but long term use, for example, 28 consecutive days in dogs getting chemotherapy to improve their quality of life and decrease their side effects while they're on chemotherapy. Based upon our study, yes, I agree. That's excellent. That's really great information. You know, certainly many of us have patients, whether in general practice or specialty practice, that are receiving treatment for cancer such as this. And knowing that we have a medication that is not only effective but safe in long-term use, I think is a big benefit and will help us continue to treat patients moving forward. I know there are other studies that have looked at the use of meropidin citrate, Serenia, for example, in normal dogs. How is this study different from that, or how does it compare to other studies that have been out there? Where this is different than, say, the Lessman study, which was normal dogs, these are cancer-bearing dogs who are generally going to be more elderly with other predisposing conditions that are also receiving chemotherapy. So if there was going to be a group that we were more likely to see side effects or potentially see accumulation due to the fact that they are more elderly patients, 
and may have other issues going on, the fact that we did not see accumulation of the drug in a population such as this, certainly for other types of diseases, lends credence to using it. Dr. Clifford, thank you so much for that information about dogs getting chronic meropidant citrate and the safety and efficacy of that. Let's move on to Dr. Quimby. And I actually had the fortune of hearing Dr. Quimby speak at a recent symposium in Washington, D.C. And one of the overwhelming themes that I think was brought throughout that symposium was the importance of nutrition in our renal disease patients. And not only nutrition, but also making sure it's the right nutrition, making sure it's the right caloric intake, and making sure that they maintain muscle mass. One of the speakers there talked about, even more notably in human medicine, the less muscle mass you have, the more that drops, the more likely you are to get concurrent morbidity and mortality type diseases. So the fact that Dr. Quimby looks into chronic renal failure, chronic kidney disease, cats, for example, we all know that chronic kidney disease cat comes in over time. They're becoming more and more thin. They're losing muscle mass. They're not eating well at all. So Dr. Quimby, similar to Dr. Clifford's evaluation of dogs, you evaluated the use of meropidant for the more chronic management of vomiting and inapidence in cats with chronic kidney disease. So before we get into the use of meropidant, and not that I wanted to, to spoil your, your thunder here, but talk to me a little bit about the things that you see in your chronic kidney disease cats and what prompted you to look into meropidant and develop this study? Right. So that I think that's a very important point for our chronic kidney disease patients, particularly the feline patients, since dogs, of course, we suffer from the same problems, but their disease tends to be much more short-lived, unfortunately. And a lot of our cats struggle with chronic kidney disease for, for potentially many years. Um, I have a great interest in really helping them through that process since we don't, as of yet, have a cure for chronic kidney disease. And this really ties, in my opinion, to nutrition, to keeping them eating, to keeping their body um, in good condition and their muscle mass up. And so I think the first thing that's important to think about is that we are only really starting to learn why it is that these patients are inappetent or having cachexia associated with their chronic kidney disease. And some of our previous studies have indicated that, you know, I think historically we blamed this on uremic gastritis and perhaps ulceration in the stomach. And we previously did a study that showed us that that's really not as common as, as we would have thought in the cat. And in fact, we don't even really know if these patients are hyperacidic or not. And so it may not necessarily even be appropriate to give them famotidine or omeprazole. And, and these medications are very, very commonly prescribed. So when I'm thinking about why this patient is an appetent, why could this patient be vomiting associated with their chronic kidney disease, I'm actually thinking more about central effects, potentially. So uremic toxins and their effect on the CRTZ. And so in this particular line, meropitant is actually a really excellent drug for targeting that. So if I get away from thinking about uremia and potential effects on the GI tract, Actually, even if there were effects there, meropitant would still be a good drug because we know it very adequately covers central vomiting as, as well as peripheral vomiting. And so thinking about that pathophysiology brought me to um, meropitant in thinking about how I could use it to help cats with chronic kidney disease as they go through the course of their disease. And obviously, as they progress, they get to be stage three and stage four cats. Our need for those supportive medications definitely increases. 
excellent information. And so talk to me a little bit about the study that you have done. Again, looking at the chronic use of meropidin citrate in our feline patients. Tell me how that was designed, what your results and safety data, and of course, what your efficacy study was showing, is this something that is safe and efficacious for our patients? Right. So similar to what we've discussed previously, in these chronically ill patients where I don't have any concerns about their being foreign body, something along those lines, we were very interested in assessing meropatin for these late stage patients for these animals. And so this study looked at 33 cats that had chronic kidney disease associated with clinical signs chronic vomiting inappetence. And many of them actually had poor body condition scores or poor muscle mass. They couldn't have other diseases. So the goal was for the, the clinician in charge of that particular patient to say, this animal has these clinical signs and I can't find another reason for it. I really think it's attributable to the chronic kidney disease. And so that was the patient population that we used. There were iris stage 2 chronic kidney disease cats and iris stage 3 chronic kidney disease cats in the study, and we randomized it in such a way that an equal number of those cats were both in the treatment group and in the placebo group. It was a two-thirds study whereupon two-thirds of the, the cats got serenia, and then one-third of the cats got placebo in a randomized manner. So unlike our work with mirtazapine, these were separate cats in these different groups that did not cross over. And in this particular study, we gave the drug, and that was a four milligram across the board dose. So um, we gave that drug for two weeks, and the owners kept daily logs of what was happening at home. So they recorded vomiting incidents, they recorded appetite scores, activity scores, kind of how they thought the cat was doing. And we combined that with um, a clinical assessment where the patients came in at the end of the study, had their physical exam, their weight, body condition score graded by the clinician who also did not know which treatment the cats had gotten. And so this allowed us to kind of, of take a look at what we thought. In terms of a dose for those patients, I did mention they got four milligrams across the board. So just to um, interpret that in terms of our MIG per kig, that did mean there was a, a bit of a range of MIG per kig dosing in this particular study. So the median actually came out at just over one mg per kg, our target was somewhere in between one and two mg per kg based both on, you know, the labeling for dogs, because we don't have oral labeling for cats, and then also the previous pharmacokinetic and pharmacodynamic study, um, Hickman et al., that had looked at the use of meropotence in cats for two weeks. So we designed our study very similar to kind of continue down the exploratory path from that first PK and PD study that was done by Hickman et al. And in this particular study, then, our clinical trial, we did see a significant decrease in vomiting in these patients. In the two-week period, though, the owners did not necessarily notice a statistically significant difference in appetite, but we had a very strong placebo effect in this study, unfortunately, and we did not see a difference in weight for these patients. However, the caveat of that is the study was only two weeks long, and if I was comparing this to an actual out-and-out -out appetite stimulant, the effect is probably a little bit more subtle. And, and typically, I use the medications together. I'm actually using mirtazapine and meropotent together as opposed to, to just one of them. So the purpose of study design, if you will, um, is slightly different than how I use uh, the drug clinically. But it was able to still demonstrate to us that, A, we saw no concerns with administering the medication daily for 14 days. Um, and B, we did effectively decrease vomiting in these patients. 
Excellent. And so a similar question that I asked Dr. Clifford, has this changed the way that you're treating your chronic kidney disease cats in practice? Yeah, I, I would say it absolutely does. And so we we use a lot of meropotent. And like I mentioned, we use a lot of meropotent in combination with other medications like mirtazapine, especially in our stage four cat. And so for the purposes of, I, I guess, ethically completing a placebo crossover study, I couldn't design a study that I felt comfortable doing that had stage four chronic kidney disease cats in it. I don't feel comfortable having a, a placebo-controlled study with those patients. So those are the cats that we really tend to use meropotent in, and we tend to use it until they're no longer with us. So it's, it's just part of their long-term management. And one of the cats in this study actually continued to get the drug for several months after the study, and she gained a kilogram during that time period. So it may be a longer um, effect in terms of the success of helping with their nutritional management and the success of helping them get more calories in and achieving our goals in terms of their management. So definitely it does help me. It also helps me in the sense that I worry about any fluid loss in these cats that have very, very delicate um, hydration balance. And so if they are vomiters, if they have vomiting associated with their disease or even vomiting associated with known other conditions, this really does help me try to keep the fluid where it's supposed to be, which is inside the cat as opposed to on the living room floor. Another potentially anecdotal type question, do you think that your clients that have cats receiving meropidant citrate are noticing as well they have a better quality of life, they're eating more, they seem more comfortable? Study aside from an anecdotal standpoint, we definitely have owners that report that this does seem to be a great medication for their pets. And so actually one of the owners that was in the study told me that this was the only two weeks that her cat had never vomited <laughs> in as many years as she could remember. So we actually, we, we do frequently um, get feedback like that. And therefore that does really tell us in addition to this study that it's an important part of management for these animals. And, and Garrett, I, I think one point that is brought up in this, which I think is quite interesting, we've definitely seen that there are sometimes these cats that are just having hyporexia. And we have seen that, you know, placing them on Serenia in many of these patients, there is a subset that will all of a sudden start eating better. So we have no obvious reason as to why they may be nauseous, but it actually evokes or has some increase in their appetite when these patients are placed on it chronically. And I think at least in my experience, using cancer patients, more so cats than in dogs. I think it's very hard to assess nausea, right? So this is a big question that people have had about meropotent. That was one thing that we tried to pull out in our study, but it's very hard to make endpoints to actually assess nausea. And that would be my clinical impression as well. But I know that there are many people that believe just as strongly that it doesn't help nausea um, and uh, until we have proof <laughs> as such. So I've looked for some time um, for that and a, a good way to do that, and I have not been able to come across it. But that is my impression as well, is that I'm not using it just for active vomiting. I'm using it for those patients that I truly feel have nausea because they have uremic toxins that are being presented to the CRTZ and are struggling from that aspect of their disease. And so, um, again, when we designed the study, like I mentioned, we couldn't use stage four cats, but those are likely the patients that we are talking about. 
And I have always wanted to perform a study to look at these endpoints to try to get a better handle on the nausea question. But actually, what I wanted to do was to design an equivalency study, um, i.e. comparing meropatin to another drug that was supposed to help with nausea, um, for instance, ondansetron or dilazotron. But this is actually the other good point that I would bring up. We have been very unsuccessful in demonstrating that either one of those drugs are the best choice for cats. So our ondansetron studies have demonstrated that the half-life is very short in cats. Oral bioavailability is poor. Last year, we presented work for Dilazitron at ACVM, and it does not last for 24 hours. It was not able to stop xylazine-induced vomiting, and so I have not yet been able to come up with a drug to use in an equivalency study against meropatin that I feel I would feel good using in my stage for chronic kidney disease patients to try to answer some of those questions. And therefore, yes, we do, we do use it. We use it both with the intent that we are treating vomiting and any nausea um, and then helping out with their appetite, helping out with their caloric intake and everything else that can be associated with that quality of life, body condition, and hopefully prognosis. The other thing that, that you brought up, which I think is, is, is really excellent, um, Jessica, is the fact of in talking about our other, what we consider top line, looking at the serotonin inhibitors, um, we know that really there's very little data, certainly in dogs, for looking at Zofran or Dilazotron in regards to what the true dosing is. You know, to my knowledge, correct. and correct me if I'm wrong, yeah, correct yes. me if I'm wrong, there's really no data out there to say what is the true dose. Right. And that, that's absolutely a good point. And so what I, looking into those two medications, what I've discovered um, is that actually there's a very early study that indicates that the, the oral bioavailability of undansetron in dogs may be, in fact, abysmal. So like less than 10%. And that's in contrast to about 35% in cats, which I wouldn't consider to be ideal, and 75% in humans. And so, as most people know, Zofran or Ondansetron is, ha- is handed out very readily <laughs> at the emergency room. And so, we, we've kind of assumed that that's similarly a good idea for our veterinary patients. But some of, that, some of the work that I've, I've seen and very little, like you said, exists, indicates that actually oral dosing may not be ideal. And we're quite frankly guessing at the dose when it comes to um, both of those drugs for IV administration. So I see dose ranges anywhere from 0.1 to 1 mg per kg for dilazitron um, and um, undansetron both that's been reported in various places. And we used dilazitron even up to 1 mg per kg in our study and didn't see an effect on vomiting. So I think that definitely additional work needs to be done to be using those drugs more effectively. And again, that just kind of ironically highlights why it is that we actually have better work for meropatins in terms of what an optimal and effective dose is for our patients. Yeah, I mean, clearly it's, it's out there within many of the formularies without really true data behind them. Well, this has been awesome information. You know, for me, my takeaway, and hopefully some of our vet girl listeners take away as well, is we're learning a lot about the use of meropidin citrate uh, in the last couple of months and couple of years. We've understood the importance in our pre-op and post-op surgical patients, the fact that it's not only decreasing emesis, nausea prior to surgery, but also they're getting better in that 
They're getting back to better feed and function sooner. They're able to leave the hospital faster. And importantly here with both our chronic kidney disease feline patients and our oncology cancer chemotherapy canine patients, we're seeing that it not only makes them more comfortable, but they're better able to tolerate the protocols. They're better able to live a longer, happier life. They're putting on muscle mass and body weight, and they're just being better treated by our veterinary team. So I think this is really great information, both from the oncology side, as well as the sort of internal medicine side with our chemo and chronic kidney disease patients. So thank you both so much for being here. I think it's awesome information. I think our Vecro listeners will learn a ton from this. For me, I take away that I can use this for longer periods of time in both my cats and my dogs, both safe and efficacious to improve their quality of life and health.